So welcome everybody to All In With Aqueous. I'm your host, Mike Memo Minio, and we have a special treat for today's episode. I'm here with the legendary Uncle Mike Ganser from Aqueous talking about the brand new album, Color Wheel, that drops today, right? That's right. Yeah, coming out today. What a what a good day. I, my, I think my vinyl is currently on its way to my house, so it's pretty pretty cool day for me. That's awesome. So, um, so Mike, let's just kind of, we'll do, I guess the format for today, we're going to talk a little bit, uh, about a general synopsis of the album, and then we're going to actually do a track by track breakdown. So I just a couple questions to start off and let's, let's talk about the recording process. So where was the album recorded and, you know, how, maybe give us a time frame, how long it took and kind of how the step-by-step goes. Yeah, so so we started making the album actually last January, so January of 2017. And when we started, we didn't have a clear, like a, a super clear vision of where we were going with it. We just said, okay, we've got like a new song or two. And at that point, it was just Weight of the Word and Realize Your Light. And we, ha- we had just finished writing them. And we're like, you know, it'd be really cool if we just like went in and recorded, you know, started this brand new year. We have a little time off. We've just been on the road. Let's like start making, like, let's just go record songs and just see what happens, you know. Um, which already was different from how we normally do it because typically we'll have like a plan. We'll have like 10 or, you know, songs or however many and go in with the intent of making an album. So in the beginning though, we, we didn't really have that plan. We just were taking it track by track. And then, um, that process kind of kept happening. You know, we were, we loved it. We, you know, like just two songs at a time or three songs at a time was working really well for us. And we were like, all really kind of feeling the vibe like there was no stress like because sometimes when you go to make an album maybe you take two weeks to do it and you're just cramming like you're at you have to you know you're working against the clock and you know and time truly is money in that scenario because studio uh time is not very uh cheap for those who uh, have uh gone down that road but um so we uh we're just doing you know doing two tracks at at a time or three tracks at a time was allowing us to really bring the attention to detail that we wanted to and to experiment with different tones and ideas. And, and because of the fact that these were almost entirely songs that hadn't been, you know, ever played live and had maybe even just been finished, you know, finished being, having been written. Um, it was like really cool. We, we could really bring them to life and, and, and see them, you know, through a creative process that we really hadn't ever been able to in the studio. So um, you know, from January on, you know, as, uh, you know, 2017 rolled on, we, we had just kind of kept chipping away at it over the months when we could get back in the studio and then, uh, started to all of a sudden see a clearer vision for the album. And, and it was like a really organic way to create it. Um, you know, and, and just saw it come to life and started to see a common theme between the songs and then started like putting it together, um, you know, thematically what we wanted to do with it and then kind of really zeroing in once we got to the section where we were recording like the actual song Color Wheel and, and Good Enough and some of those, like we, we were really starting to get a sense of what this album was about and the headspace that we were in. And, and it was it was such a cool process. So do you so let's let's first hit where where did you record? Oh yeah, uh, GCR Audio, which is uh, right right in Buffalo, New York. And um, fun fact, it's actually the Goo Goo Dolls' studio. Like Robbie Robbie from the Goo Goo Dolls, who's their bass player, um, like owns the owns the spot. And and you know, it's it was cool. He was actually like in a lot of the sessions, just hanging out. You know, he's he's always like in and out of Buffalo, and and uh, he lives here part of the time. 
And uh, it was it was really like he's really supportive and like really positive and and the the studio is so amazing and and we we worked with uh, Justin Rose who's like the the main engineer there um, and I, we've worked with him before actually all the way you know going all the way back to Willie is forty um, which was our first ever actual studio experience because you know Giant something we made in a basement. Um, when we were like 17 or 18 or 19 or ho- however old. And then, uh, you know, Willie is 40. I remember we cut the whole thing in like four days and then mixed the entire album overnight, which is absurd. Uh, you know, like that's a, you know, like a, you know, crazy way to do that. But, um, you know, with Justin, we've had that relationship with him since the beginning and we did cycles with him as well. Um, and so it was awesome to come back with much more experience and to be, you know, be a really a, a much tighter band with a, a bit of a clearer vision. And at least in terms of like how we execute on things now. And um, we are like so stoked with the results because um, both Dave and I had really stepped into a producer, you know, pr- uh, quote unquote producer role for this as far as, you know, like really overseeing all the the guitar tones and, key- and keyboard sounds and bass sounds and drum sounds and and getting everything mixed with Justin and like, you know, doing creative ideas and 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 uh it was like a really awesome process and we've never been that hands-on before and i'm, I'm really glad that we did this time and so this has got to be like your baby it's it, it very much is yes nice so i guess that's kind of an uh, interesting thing so in between your last album and this album like approaching the studio do you have a different mindset that you're older more experienced and you know is that like a thing that's kind of grown as you guys have matured yeah, I think that that just kind of happens organically over time, you know, as as a person ages, you know, I mean, your tastes change and your priorities change. And I mean, ultimately, I think that as a band and as musicians, we're, we're getting more comfortable, um, you know, like we it's not I, I don't know exactly how to put this, but like in the studio the first couple times we did it, we were pretty nervous just because, you know, it's, again, it's expensive and it's, you know, they just say, okay, you're on, like you're recording and like you just, you have to, you have to do something and you want it to be good. And, um, this time there was, because like we had already been in this scenario before we'd already made an EP with Rob and we'd worked with Justin a bunch before this and everybody was just at, very much at ease and the band is in such a good place. Um, just as people that it made this a really joyous process this time around. And not that it hasn't been before, but I remember when we were making cycles, like Nick was thinking about leaving the band and um, there was some health concerns, like just uh, with, you know, one of our members and just think things were, were not exactly like, you know, in, in, in the best place. And there's a little bit of darkness on that record. I think you can hear. Um, whereas I think on this record, there is a, a description of darkness too. And talk, you know, and, and, you, it's us kind of contemplating a lot of different parts of life and, 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 you know, valleys and peaks of life. Um, but from a much more optimistic viewpoint, you know, and, and I think that there's like this thread of optimism about pushing through, about enduring. Um, that's a very much the story of our band, but B, you know, within our personal lives, there's been a lot that we've each gone through, um, that's reflected in this, in this album and gone through as a collective unit of people. Um, and I, I just really, felt like there was just like a joy and like a, a sense of love and in, in, in this in this record that's feels new to me um and there, there's always been in some way but this is we've i guess ultimately i'm saying the band is like in such a good place right now and and i'm really grateful for that sure it, it really is coming at a good time i think for you guys with starting to have a little bit more success touring um musically you guys sound wonderful i think rob is really you know made himself a huge member of the band at this point, you know, where it's old hat with him almost at this point for a couple of years 
with him in now. So I think it came at a really good time for you guys. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Okay, so I guess um, one of, I think, the more interesting things to talk about is, you know, from the start, you guys have been, you know, a live band. You, you're, you know, you jam all kinds of different set lists. You never play the same thing twice. Covers, you know, going to see Aqueous is obviously an experience. So let's talk maybe a little bit about the differences between playing a live show and how you prepare and how you think about songs and where to place them versus trying to put all those together in a studio format and then kind of maybe figure out how you're going to lay all those out in a track by track, you know, map. Yeah. I mean, I think that they're kind of polar opposite ends of the spectrum, you know, because when, when you're playing a live show, it's all about connecting and being in the moment and listening and, and responding. And, and it's, it's sort of like more of a conversational thing where uh, when you're in the studio, the whole purpose is, is to capture the essence of a song. Right. And so you're, you're looking for more, more like perfection and, and, and locking in in a different way, you know, like a live show can be a little bit looser and more languid. And, and of course, like you want, you want the songs and the performances to breathe, um, you know, and so that element's not completely lost, but it's sort of a different approach to it. You know, I mean, like, the whole process is different. Like when, when we're, when we go to cut a song, we play it all, you know, we're all in a room together because you can do it a lot of different ways. Some guys will do it where, you know, just the drum drummer and bass player will be in a room and they'll play, you know, they'll lay down the foundations of the song and then the guitars go in and so on. And we don't do it like that because, because of the fact that we are a live band, we, we, we feel a certain strength there and we there's like a vibe that you can capture if you're good at it. And we've kind of zeroed in on this over the years in the studio process, but we'll, the four of us will track it once, but we'll track differently. Like we don't, you know, we won't be, there will be no vocals, you know, like we'll just lay down all the instrumentation first, which is almost challenging because you don't have that vocal reference to like cue the different lengths of sections. You have to memorize like how long things go on without the vocal being there. And so we'll, when we go into rehearse, you know, um, for the studio sessions, we'll work it out like how, like we'll figure out a plan of execution is how we can bet most, basically most efficiently track something that it will also capture the best vibe. Um, and so, you know, and again, with the perfection element, it's about like, you know, making sure we're playing perfectly in time and in tune. And like, there's like a, a nuance that happens in the studio that's a lot less important live. Um, but then live, you know, it's the opposite where it's not about perfection. It's about the vibe entirely. You know what I mean? It's a, it's about the energy and the flow and, and this and that. And, and so I guess there's a little bit of crossover from both worlds, but I, I tend to think of them pretty separately. Um and regarding the track list thing, that, that is something that I pull from how I build the set lists, you know, as our primary, prim, primary set list writer in the band. Like, that's always my job is to figure out like a smooth flow and segue. And, and I think a lot about like tempos, um, of songs and, and the feel and the meaning and, you know, who's singing what and just every, every, every little factor that makes the songs a little bit different. I, I think about and try to build something that, won't be boring and it'll, it will have peaks and valleys and, and not too much of one thing going on at the same time. And, um, and I really thought a lot about that with this, with this record, but honestly, I, I feel like the, the track list was, was clear to me, you know, once, once I could hear all the songs and had an arc of, in my mind, you know, and, and the band discussed like what the purpose was and, and where we were going creatively with it, it became really clear to me you know, what should go where and, and, you know, what should open the album, what should close the album and, and so on. And, and I really like the whole flow of it. I think it's, it's, it's 
it's pretty cool. It's a nice journey. As do I, as do I. So I know we talked about that you kind of recorded over a, you know, a, a pretty lengthy period of time, but did you come in kind of in January and have a lot of tracks ready to roll or did you start with, a, you know, you said you started with Weight of the Word and Realize Your Life, but did you have the other eight ready to roll or did you just kind of write those as you went along or how did, how did that go? Yeah, no, no, we, we didn't. I mean, in fact, like Color Wheel and like uh, Split the Difference, I mean, some, almost every other track wasn't even written yet, um, which is really cool. You know what I mean? Like we just went in with those with those two, I think, like I said, it was Weight of the Word and, and Realize Your Light. And we were like, what should we do with these? And, you know, like what, what, you know, like let's just, we have these two songs, let's go record them and, and maybe we'll just put them out as singles. And we And we did that with Weight of the Word. We just put it out. And then we're like, okay, realize your light's really cool, and it feels more like an album piece. Like, let's see what we come up with. And and everyone just started contributing um, ideas. You know, we'd work together on the road, or show each other demos, or show each other riffs, and just sort of naturally put together, you know, pieces and parts. And and a lot of it was written at like sound checks and stuff on the road. We'd just like chip away at songs or on off nights. You know, I remember actually being in like I forget where we were, like Kansas City or something, and we were like staying at a friend's friend's house and just worked for like five hours on like how high you fly and 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 another I forget what the other one was. Um, and it's like, you know, it's cool to like think about where a lot of like cause something like like that song in particular how high you fly had been played like once or twice previous and we didn't really like we weren't happy with the arrangement it felt like too much of one thing and it was too heavy and it wasn't what i wanted and so we i, I didn't want to throw the song away because that happens sometimes i mean there's a handful of songs that people haven't even heard that we were working on and it just didn't didn't go it didn't it just didn't you know and and sometimes it's just one thing that needs to change or you know it's like a subtle thing that makes the track feel a certain way or whatever it might mm-hmm. be. And um, that was really very much the case with that song. And, and I think we had booked studio time to record two songs. I think we, I think we were going to do half in half out and second sight. And those were, we knew like we had played those before, but we just really dug them and thought that like they should get recorded and we'll just maybe put those out too. And then like a week before we went in, I was like, wait, like, you know, I've been, I've, I've been rework, you know, reworking how high you fly. And I have some ideas about how it can, groove more and I, and I like the message and I think you know and, and everybody agreed and we worked together and and literally like we're making changes to that song day of in the studio when we went to cut it and and uh you know I, I really ended up being very happy with how that one came out and that song was important to me to to have be a part of our thing too yeah so I guess um just a couple of quick things so this is the first vinyl release you got to be pumped about that Man, I am so stoked about that. Uh, <laughs> both Dave and I collect vinyl, um, you know, and especially Dave. Dave's got a much larger collection than I do. But there's something about the ceremony of it, you know, like like just putting it on the on the record player and like looking at the art and stuff. I feel like so much of that is lost, like on the whole sort of Spotify, iTunes generation that we're that we're kind of experiencing now. But uh, it's nice that people are still interested in in really what's such a primitive format, but it sounds so warm and so clean and um, and like I said, there's just something about seeing, uh, seeing the, the, <clears throat> the artwork like on, on, in that format and that we knew that we were going to do vinyl from the beginning. We knew it was time. And honestly, this is the first time we've had the funds to do it. You know, yeah. I mean, that's a big part of it is not, it's not cheap to produce and you have to get it mastered completely separately from the rest of the stuff that you put out. Like it's just a different format, you know? Um, but we've wanted to do it forever and it's so nice to finally be able to do it. And and I think this is the perfect album to do it with. I can't wait to hold it in my hand. Like you said, there's just something about that and it's, 
you know, you and I have talked about before with our influences and our, our fathers and stuff, just, it just feels, you feel young again with a, with a vinyl in your hand, at least for me. Um, and it's the same way with a book for me, you know, like you have your Kindle and, but it's just not the same as holding a book in your hand. Yeah. There's something about that, like tangible feeling, yep. you know, that you just really can't replicate elsewhere. And so definitely glad to have that. I would imagine for you, like just to have that, when you have that in your hand, you're like, dude, I made this. Like I've made this. That's a really good point, man. I, I feel like sometimes, you know, stuff just gets put out into the internet and then it's just gone. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's out there, but it's just like, it can be kind of unceremonious at times. And I think something like that is something like I can like, show somebody 20 years from now and be like, look, this exists and it existed. And this has captured this time in my, in my life and in the band's life. And, and I, I think that's a really good point, man. It has a different personality. Like if you send somebody a track, you're like, Oh, I met, you know, this is a new song we wrote. Check this out. They get, there's a million different tracks they get sent or watch or whatever in a given day. But you hand somebody your vinyl and you're like, dude, I made this. I mean, that it's cool. Not to mention like the artwork is so sick too. <laughs> Yeah, I, yes, it is. And you want to talk about that at all? Or? Yeah, I, I do. Uh, so, you know, there was a lot of influences going into this record. And we and when I think about an album, like once we knew it was going to be an album, I think about every side of it, you know, and not just the music, but like the art, artwork and visuals, like should really capture the essence of a record. And um, I, I knew, knowing that vinyl was going to be the primary format that we were aiming for, um, that, was, that was a huge consideration when choosing artwork and conceptualizing artwork. And... Uh, I think we, we were looking to, you know, we were working with Dana. So Dana Fisher, um, who's actually engaged to Evan now, our bass player, Evan, um, uh, has done a ton of design work for us over the years. And she's like an amazing, like amazingly talented designer. Um, and she had sent over a bunch of different options for the album. Like, and, and, you know, and I, we were communicating a lot, um, just about the meaning behind the songs and the purpose, general purpose of the album. And I, I was kind of like telling her, you know, I would send her, you know, or have her look at my record collection. We, we'd get together and just check things, you know, like just <clears throat> kind of conceptualize ideas. And I, we kept coming to like Pink Floyd record covers, like Storm Thorgerson, who's the guy that designed all theirs. It was always these really like symbolic, like just these really striking, simple images that just yep. made you feel something. And, and I, I really wanted that that vibe for this record and she came up with that and sent it to me and I was like, Oh my God, this is perfect. It's, it is great. And Dana is very talented and a great person. Um, I gotta ask you a quick question. So you said Dave has a lot of vinyl. I got to imagine it's half Beatles and half Eagles. <laughs> I think that's about exactly right with like a couple Steely Dan and, and, and Billy Joel spruced in. <laughs> Uh, Dave, we love Dave's you. basically a 63 year old man. Yes. He, yes, there's <laughs> He's no a doubt very about lovable it. Lovable 63 year old man though. Yeah. I feel like most of his off time would be spent in a rocking chair. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's, I do. I love the album cover too. And I agree with all of that. Um, it, it is very striking. Very cool. I've, I've liked um, all your album covers, but this one just, like you said, it definitely has like that Floydian kind of, power feel to it when you when you look at it so yeah and it, you know interestingly it was the first one we've ever chosen to not have any text on you know um i don't know if you noticed that but it doesn't say our name and it doesn't say the um title of the record on there it oh says no it, I, I'll, have you know. to, 
Oh, that's cool. I did not. I'll have to, I should get my vinyl today. I'll check that out. So yeah, yeah. It's really cool. We, we talked about a, a bit about that, but we thought, okay, on the internet, it, it'll be labeled as such. So people will know what they're looking at. And in sure. real life, if someone has it in real life, then they know what they're buying. <laughs> yeah. It just looks, I, I just thought it was a little bit more powerful without, you know, we, we experimented with text on the front and just, it was more striking without. Cool. So, okay, so let's get in, let's get into the album here. That's, that was a good little warm up. Um, so 10 tracks. And would you say that this album has a theme? Would you say it's kind of a sum of its parts? Or what do you, what do you think is like a general message or theme or whatever you, what, when you think about Color Wheel as a full album, what do you think about? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the biggest the biggest feeling for me is like, it's just like a sense, a sense of optimism, like while looking at how hard life is, but, you know, cause so, so much of this album just deals with like true complexities and difficulties of life that any human can relate to or go through. And, and, and from all over the spectrum, there's stuff about death, there's stuff about, you know, feeling depressed, there's stuff about like realizing that your own like quirks are the reason that things are the way they are around you when you want to blame others. Like it's, it's very introspective, but also very like analytical of our current world and how all that stuff fits into that, you know? And, but I think ultimately, even though a lot of the stuff that's analyzed is a little bit on the darker side as life is and can be for a lot of people, there's a feeling of like that it can be, it is, it can be better or it is better like through, you know, connecting with people or being kind to people. Like there's like a sense that, even though this stuff exists the way that it exists, that it, it things, things can are still that you're okay and things are okay and that you can push through and, and, and overcome, you know, and that you will. And, and, and it's like just this kind of like message of optimism. I think that's totally sewn into the whole album. I agree with that. And I'll tell you, Mike, you're pretty wise beyond your years. That's some complex stuff. And definitely, you know, I, you, you guys are probably at an age where you're starting to see a lot of that and you're going to see even more of that as you get older. So I, I love a lot of the messages in, in these songs. They're, they're great. Um, so, so let's, we'll go, we're going to do a track by track breakdown and we're going to talk a little bit about each one and then I'm going to play them for you. So you'll have a little bit of, you know, Mike and I talking about the song, you'll hear the song and then we'll move on to the next one. So this is going to be kind of a fun way to listen to the album. So the debut song, or the first track, I should the, should say, the opening track is Second Sight, which clocks in at 6 minutes and 49 seconds. Now, Second Sight has been around for a little while. It was debuted uh, 2-4-2017, and it's actually been played 53 times live already. Wow. So talk about uh, Second Sight a little bit it's, and, you know, kind of where that came from, who wrote it, you know, and, and where that fits in and maybe talk about how you took a song that's been played live, you know, so often and how that made it to the album. Yeah. So that song ended up being chosen for the record just because it, it really set the tone of a lot of the messages that we were kind of just discussing. Like I, I wrote, I, that was one that I wrote and um, I wrote it because I, 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 you know, to be honest, since, since my, I lost, I lost my dad a few years ago now um, to cancer and, when I did, it gave me like a whole new perspective on life that I had literally never seen or felt before. And and you think like you go through a lot in life and you think you have a sense of what you know and who you are. And, 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 and I think something like that can really rock your world, like in, in a lot of different ways. And, um, not all of them have to be negative. I mean, it was a really hard time and I still struggle with it sometimes, but like a positive perspective that I gained is like, shit, like 
you know, time is quite limited for all of us and that we all have this end that we're going to meet at some point and that what a waste of time it is to spend time on like trivial issues or, or to like hold a grudge against somebody or to like, you know, and, and so I was in this mindset of like just appreciating the fact that like I'm alive, you know, and that like, you know, everyone around me is going to have their time and that we should really like try to do our best to get the most out of our experience as, as we can. And, and so I'm having this experience, but also seeing such profound division between people, you know, from a political spectrum, from, from every side of everything. This is like, we're living in a really specific time where everybody is, you know, especially because the internet, in the inter- internet perpetuates this like idea of people are these like keyboard warriors and they're like behind their screens and saying all this crazy shit to each other and just being very unkind and cruel and so non-tactful, and I see it from every side without having to, you know, voice a particularly, you know, particular political opinion. It just, I think that I just, I was, I, I, I felt that there's such, we, we all have a role that we can play in, in finding commonalities with each other and finding, finding co- just common ground because we're all humans, you know, and there's already more to relate to each other on than, than, you know what I mean? Like there's, 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 we have more in common then then we have less in common i guess is a really uneloquent way to say that or or that divides us yeah exactly like there's 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 more in common than than we have that divides us so so i I guess that was kind of the main purpose of the song you know lyrically speaking and then um you know i i had been you know since you know my dad like that was a a lot of that that time was wrapped up in that feeling and so i was listening to a lot of the music he shared with me which was like pink floyd and steely dan you know those were the two big ones and so i i feel like i struck a little bit of a balance there with like the chords if you you know like if a musician were to sit down and play those most of the voicings are like slightly alt like they're the the progression itself is like it's decently straightforward it's not a traditional um chord structure but like all the chords are slightly altered to have maybe like a little bit more of a jazz voicing to them and that's like a very steely dan technique but i I wanted it to groove and be danceable too and um and so i I was i was sort of inspired by a little bit of those sounds and then i brought it to the band and it became its own thing and sounds so different from the demo that i made which is exactly right because you know when you play in a band it's important to have like the band's you know uh, creative input there you know absolutely yeah and Second Sight really from the beginning became a pretty big jam vehicle. I remember uh, your first show at the Town Ballroom. It was played there and it was just a beast right from the start. And um, it's very fun for it's been one of my favorites since you wrote it. And it's fun to see it on the album. And the album version for me was a, it's a little bit different. So I think of when I think of Second Sight, this big, powerful rocker that has these really you know, cool lyrics that kind of undertone that that power that's going on behind the song. But the album version feels a little bit more dreamy to me. So is that an intentional thing or is that something I'm just noticing? Or Yeah, I mean, we, we, we particularly wanted to do something different with it. You know what I mean? I, I feel like if you're going to pl- put a studio, you know, a song that's been played enough live on onto a studio record it should be a unique version you know it Love should it. Ha- yep. have its own thing um and so we we played a lot with like the you know actually i remember i remember during takes like we were like had maybe tried three takes of the song and we're kind of finding it still and um rob like played a slightly different drum beat for like in between and we're like, i was like oh can you try that and he's like yeah and we did and we just totally ran with it and it's like completely different of the way he normally plays it live and it gave it and evan changed his bass part and 
it just became this this totally different thing that just felt right in the moment and we just ran with it you know I, I think it's important sometimes as a band to not get too attached to something um, you know if if the music is pulling in a direction naturally I think it's it's really fun and satisfying to follow follow wherever it's going I mean it's powerful it's like its own thing you know um, and and if you're like aware of it and, and open to, to seeing where it goes I think it can lend to some really awesome results and that's basically how this version of Second Sight was born was just through us like kind of experimenting in the studio which is not a common thing you know and normally you go in there with a plan and you just execute on it and this time we were like what could we do different? Yeah. <laughs> and it was really fun. Yeah. Um, I just want to go back to, um, you were talking about, you know, what the song is about and stuff. And it, it just kind of hitting me is it is a very interesting dichotomy in the way that you talk about, you know, how things are in the internet and how people respond and talk and how negative it is. And for me, that is, it's huge in my life because I'm on my computer a lot, I do a couple of podcasts, I'm on Twitter doing things and you see so much negativity. And like you said, divisiveness, but then when I go see a music, you know, a concert, you guys or Fish or whoever I'm going to see, it's like a completely different world. So it's an interesting dichotomy, like the internet world and how negative, but then I go to a live show and it's this feeling of connection and love. And it's just, it's such a different thing. So I kind of, that's a, a really interesting thing for me with Second Sight. Yeah. And I think almost every person can relate to that because a lot of the stuff that you see people say online, they would never say to your face in yeah. your life. And I, and oh, I think so that there's just this whole culture that exists, you know, that's really popped up in the, with social media in the past seven or eight years where it's just this divisiveness and, and this anger and this freedom to just like, you know, and even the concept of trolling, you know, is maybe one of the most disingenuous, like ex human expressions I've ever seen, like yeah. where you're just trying to create an issue, you know, where you don't even feel that way. Maybe you don't even, you know, feel the hatred that you're describing or whatever towards something you're just trying to get a rise out of people. And I think like, what a waste of someone's time and energy and like, just all these comments that you read, you know, or the things that people say, I think are just really silly and, and most of the time not reflective of our, our actual world. But that's we spend so much of our time there that you, you start to think that it is. And luckily, people like you and I are so tapped into music and live music that we will go and have those experiences where you say, oh, OK, well, humanity's OK. Every, we're all right. Yeah. But then if you didn't, you might just assume that the world is that dark of a place. And and maybe in some ways it is. I think there's parts of life that are so brutal and, and for certain types of people. And I just, I, I think that, you know, of course there's a darkness, but I think that we're better than we're represented as on the internet right now. Yeah. I and hope so. I like to think so. It's almost the complete opposite of trolling at a live concert. I go to a concert, I'm trying to make the people next to me as happy as I can because it just makes the vibe better. It's like the complete opposite. Instead of trying to get a rise out of people, I'm trying to have a good time with everybody. It's just, it's a real interesting thing the way that you, you're able to, talk about that mike I, I agree with you 100 on all that yeah man so good great great song to kick off it's very very rocking so anything else you want to talk about on second sight or you know one one other fun interesting fact for any like guitar nerds listening out there is that this this song was a lot of the reason that i switched to paul reed smith guitars <laughs> i nice. i was trying to i was trying the solo with my strat over and over to like the little solo section towards the end and just wasn't digging the tone and I used Dave's guitar and I got it like first take and it sounded amazing. And I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> like, you know, I was like, maybe I like maybe I should like actually like consider, you know, and it made me want to like be interested in Paul Reed Smith. And now Dave and I both use use one. Um, 
And uh, this was like the song that really opened my eyes to to considering one. <laughs> Just I, fun, I, fun factoid. It sounds amazing. Uh, I saw you guys so in uh, I saw you saw you in Pittsburgh, and it's just oh, it's so beautiful. Love it. It's like a culmination of all the things that my other guitars were doing that I'd have to use separate guitars for. It can just do it all in one now. It's amazing. It's good. Very anyway. exciting. Can't wait to see you grow with it. So, yes. uh, so that second site, I'm going to play that for you again. We're clocking in at about six minutes and 49 seconds. So here is second site, the opening track from color wheel.
Okay, so now we are on to song number two, which is How High You Fly, which clocks in at a very fishy 555, five minutes and 55 <laughs> seconds. Uh, debuted uh, 3-23-2017, and it has been played three times. So you talked a little bit in our opening about how you retooled How High You Fly, and that's why it wasn't played so many, you know, only three times up until, you know, here we are on uh, October you know, October 11, 2018 here. So let's maybe talk about the beginnings of how high you fly. Um, there's an interesting, there's a couple good histories, everybody on the Aqueous website. So if you click the song and you find that there's some song histories and some of them have lyrics and it's a great resource. So if you're obviously into Aqueous, which I'm sure you are listening to this podcast, really good stuff up there. So who wrote how high you fly? And was that you? Yeah, I, I wrote that one. Okay. And you want to talk about where it comes from and the reasons behind it? Yes. So the song was primarily inspired by a friend that the band had. Um, when we had cut the Best in Show EP a few years ago, um, one of the co, you know, co-engineers or assistant engineers on the project, his name was Keith. Um, and a lot of people in the Buffalo scene, you know, locally know who, you know, know who he was, but, um, long story short, you know, he had battled addiction, um, for a lot of years and he was so going on sober for a long time. And he was like such a joy. He was just an amazing person and helped us make the record. And we got close with him during those, that time. And he was like, just very much into like hip hop and just loved music and was blown away by what we did. And it's just like a really special person, you know, and, and I felt like he, we, the band connected with him immediately and I connected with him immediately. And uh, I remember even after like recording sessions, we would just hang like in the live room. I like to play drums. I'm like not a good drummer, but I like to play them. And I would just like hop on drums and he would just freestyle rap for like an hour straight. And it would be like so fun. I would just be like laughing at all the crazy shit he was saying. But so, but unfortunately, like about a month and a half after we finished that record, he passed away. You know, he, he, he relapsed and overdosed and passed away. And the band was like pretty shocked by it. And it was just like a kind of a collective loss um, that we all kind of went through together and understood. And, and unfortunately, like the, you know, opiate, uh, I'll call it epidemic. I mean, I, I, I'm sad to say about how many people I've known that have passed away having never been around opiates or heroin or any of that myself. I, I, I'm shocked at the amount of people that I've lost or or have seen struggle terribly um, within my own family and friend friends circle. Um, you know, and I think at this point we all know somebody that is either you know going through that or has you know lost somebody to that, and it's just really hard and brutal. And um, so basically, this that song was born out of just a, a bit of a you know, reflection on his life and his, his passing. And the idea was, is that, you know, after he passed, um, I liked the idea that maybe he was finally free of those, of those things that he struggled with in life. And maybe, you know, people always say, quote unquote, a better place. But I, I thought that that concept pertained to him a little bit more, you know, just because I know it was hard for him to be here. Um, you know, and, and he, that he just, I mean, we got close. And so he would tell me about how hard it was. And, you know, I mean, I think it speaks for itself how difficult it is because, people just become slaves to it and they just become so consumed and it was just sad to watch someone go through it and then lose you know lose the battle I guess so to speak but I, I my takeaway was that maybe he found freedom finally and that you know I was reflecting I remember there's this there's like a particular reference like of me like driving in the second verse and I remember like just driving down like one of the throughways in Buffalo and thinking I was thinking about my dad and thinking about um, Keith and just th- thought like man maybe like they could like know each other now, you know, maybe they can hang out and like drink and, you know, party and listen to records or like do some, something cool, you know? Um, 
And so there was a little bit of that, but then there's also like a realization too that, you know, that's probably just a comforting thought for us at home, you know, or the people that are still here. And, and so, so there, that's kind of like to unpack that song. That's the main message. And musically speaking, um, that's the most of the music is, is reflective of his, you know, like, like, like there's that like hip hop y kind of West Coast, uh, G funk, like hip hop breakdown in the middle of the song. And that's like a musical tribute specifically for him just because he loved hip hop so much. And we like threw that in there as like a just, you know, like a nod to him, you know? Dude, <laughs> I'm like tearing up over here. This, that's absolutely beautiful. And you just, you nailed that whole tribute to him. That's, it's great. My, so my sister actually went, was a heroin addict and went through rehab. So this song certainly hits home. She made it through rehab and she's doing great now, but I mean, it was that's close. Crazy. So this, this hits home. Listening to you talk about it is, you know, I'm kind of needing a break here for a second. Um, absolutely beautiful. So I think that's a really complex and well thought out song. I didn't even think about the hip hop tribute in the, in the middle. So that's super cool, man. Um, you should be proud of that. That's really cool. Thank you. Um, so just as far as the song goes though, like the album version for me, like the very beginning has these real short and, and quick notes at the beginning is different than the live recording that I'm, I was used to. So and, and you did that a couple other songs later and like these real quick, you know, it's notes that just end real abruptly. And I love it. It's very cool sound. So can you talk about that a little bit at all? Or is there a term for that that I don't know about? Or Yeah, it's like maybe like a slightly more staccato feel, okay, yeah. as, like more of a languid. Like, yeah. yeah. And I think that we, we wanted that because we changed the whole feel of the song before it was more of like a rock based thing. And it was like a little bit heavier. And we we're like, OK, how can we like pull back the reins a little bit on this? How do we make it breathe a little bit more? How do how do we make it like just like basically groove more and, and and that kind of vibe was influenced by just like when we were like running it again when we started like exploring it again dave was kind of he moved from the guitar over to the moog and he was experimenting with some of those sounds and um i think of that part as like maybe primarily you know partially dopopod influenced i feel like it has a feel like a little bit of their feel in the sure. intro yeah i like that um, yeah. with like the funky like staccato moog thing like kind of hammering on the on the melody line um, but we just wanted to make it like a little funkier and less like rocky. And yeah. that was like our, our approach to that, you know? It's awesome. That's very cool. So uh, anything else you on how high uh, you fly? I think that covers a good chunk. Very, very nice job. So this is how high you fly at five minutes and 55 seconds. The second track from color wheel.
Okay, so we are on to track three, Realize Your Light. Now, this is a pretty interesting one. Uh, This is six minutes and 26 seconds, and you just debuted that at the show I was at the other day in Pittsburgh. So very excited to see that live and another pretty complex song, right, Mike? I mean, there's a lot going on with this one as far as the meaning and everything behind it. Yeah, yeah. And so this one was was written by Dave. Um, this was one that he, you know, was the primary writer on and we, you know, collaborated. I collaborated with him on the band, collaborated with him on it. But uh, it's one of my favorite songs on the record. Um, you know, I, I, I like I think the message is great. I, I, there's basically kind of how we described the general sense of the album. I think this is the a bit of the embodiment of that where it's just saying like, man, take a minute, take take a second for whatever it is that you need. And like, you're okay. And like that, I think that the general concept is is about like realizing one's potential in life and saying, okay, like you know, I can I, I can achieve anything, like regardless of of you know whatever adversity is is in front of me or what I've been through or who I thought I was. Like that, if you can if you can just get in the mindset where you believe in yourself, then like really anything is possible. And I think <clears throat> I thought that was a really beautiful sentiment that I can relate to. And you know, having been through a lot, um, you know, having like maybe like a tougher childhood growing up and thinking that I wasn't going to amount to anything at one point in my life and then realizing like, okay, like I can, I have this voice with music. Like, I, I mean, so I, it's interesting to be in the band and to relate to a song that I, you know, I didn't write it, you know I mean? I, I co, you know, co-wrote or like worked on a lot of the music and stuff, but those lyrics like hit me too, you know? And I think it's a really beautiful message. Um, and then for me, you know, with having shifted recently to a lot of my focus being on production and uh, being really into like, recordings and and studio magic and all that stuff um i love the sound we got on this track like we evan used a different kind of bass he used what's called a p bass um or or a fender precision bass which is a totally different sound um it kind of this one has more of that steely dan flavor we were listening to like the asia record a lot um um, from steely dan and and trying to just go with like a, a, a like a t- nice tight clean sound and i think we totally totally nailed it on this one and it's an interesting juxtaposition because you've got like this like funky danceable thing you know what i mean it's almost like a steely dan meets like lotus or something like i don't i don't know exactly how to describe it musically but you've got that but then the choruses are these really dark almost like pink floydy you know thing that expresses that other emotion like maybe the slightly darker side um uh, of whatever the person is going through. And I thought that that was really cool. And, um, you know, from a guitar standpoint, the work that I did on this track is some of my favorite recorded stuff that I've done. I mean, I, I'm always like my own, you know, biggest critic, I guess, but uh, I, I got some really like cool guitar tones and note choices on this one for both the solo in the middle, which was this like really like very Fender Stratocaster-y, like um, I didn't use a pick, like it was like this like really ultra clean snappy tone in the middle uh, and that was sort of like a tribute to like again some more of the steely dan sounds that i grew up listening to and then at the end i did more of like a gilmore like you know again floydy thing with the solo and, and i you know to be honest I, I actually like really wanted to tap into the emotion and i i like thought of my dad the whole time when i was tracking that solo to tr- like i just wanted to get that emotion out of it and i i can hear it like i think that um I achieved that and I'm really stoked about it. So yeah, it's, and it's, it's, I think the track has so much potential for the live show too, once we start opening it up, you know? So yeah, I really enjoyed that solo from you as well, Mike. And I'm just kind of interested when you do a solo on the record, did you come with that pretty much planned out note for note or is there a little improv with that? 
or how do you kind of approach taking a solo in the middle of a track? That's a great question, man. And actually, um, I, I would say that the the solos on our records are probably one of the only things that aren't pre-planned and, and they are completely improvised. Um, I mean, and, and usually what happens is, uh, um, you know, over the years I've been influenced by a lot of guitarists, but I remember reading, you know, uh, an interview with David Gilmore and he said that what his process was is that he would record like six or seven, imp- you know, so- t- passes at a solo and they would all be improvised. And then he would go through and cut out his favorite parts of each and then just put them all together. And I thought, wow, what a cool idea. Because for me, I think like the most natural sounding like melodies and expression just comes when you're really not thinking about it too much. And I and I, I know for me, that's definitely true. If I start to get really deep into takes, if I do 15 passes at a solo, I might as well just stop for the day because it's mm-hmm. I, you start to overthink it and you start to, you know, like and, and it's always the first one or two or three that are the best ones because. You didn't, you weren't in a weird headspace. You weren't trying to replicate anything. It was just coming out organically. So I was really inspired by reading that and because his solos, at least on records, are my absolute favorite solos. They're perfect and they're slow and they're melodic. And so I took that exact same approach. I would have our engineer record four or five different versions of the same solo. I'd say, okay, roll it again. And I would just improvise something completely differently each time. And then I would go through and basically build like a Frankenstein version out of, out of the ones that I really liked. And then I, and until I had it exactly perfect. And then maybe I'd like record a a pass of it just being exactly that. But, um, so it's like, it, it is, it is improvised. And then it's, it's like awesome to to hear what comes, comes out of that process, you know? So yeah, do you, do you obsess over getting every note, right? No, I, I think as long as it makes you feel something and it has a vibe to it, then I'm happy with it. Um, I mean, because again, having no intent or like, you know, I mean, like because it's improvised, I don't have an idea in my mind really of what it's supposed to be. Um, I know with Realize Your Light, the outro solo, um, there was like a melody that I wanted to touch on towards the end. Like I did like my kind of solo solo and then towards the end i kind of keep vamping on the same uh the same melody and it's the melody that dave was singing before that mm-hmm. um, i like to do stuff like that and so I, it was important for me to get that part in there but I, everything else around it i just wanted to, to just put as much feel into as i can and as much motion into as i could and and that was kind of the idea i love the studio track i think dave sounds absolutely amazing with his vocals on this um i don't know if you feel the same but and then the other kind of question that I want to parlay with that is when you when you do a song and you come up with it. So, I, you know, the first two you sing and then Dave sings this one. And do you when, is it who writes the song sings or do you kind of talk about, you know, maybe whose vocal range fits the song? I just think Dave's vocals really hit at a really good tone for him right here. So I just was interested in how the choice of who sings what kind of goes about for the band. Yeah, I I think the majority of the time it's really clear, you know, who will sing what just based on the range. Um, you know, Dave can sing a lot higher than I can, and he he has like such. I, I mean, honestly, he's a very very strong singer. Like when he's in the studio, he can just go in and record like the same. Like he, he'll like just crush through his takes. Like he's really efficient and fast and consistent, and he's just so goddamn talented <laughs> it's amazing um but you know i'd say probably 80 percent of the time whoever wrote the song tends to sing it just because it was written within their range and within like you know what i mean it was like it, and especially like if it's like a, a song that means something to them you know sure. usually they can emote it you know vocally speaking a, a bit better than someone else could because it's their own message you know um but that's not always the case i mean even on this album later like weight of the word was written by evan you know and he doesn't really sing too much but uh um 
that could have gone to either Dave or I, but I tend, I, it was just kind of like, it was a little bit smoother of a track and I just like had a set, I had a really specific idea for it vocally and it just kind of like happened that way. But, um, it's usually pretty clear and there's never really any like, you know, push or pull on that, yeah, sure. usually, you know, whatever makes the most sense. Like no one, we don't care. Like as long, whatever sounds the best works for any of us, you know? Cool. So anything else on uh, realize your life? I think that about covers it, man. Cool. Okay. So this again was, is track three, Realize Your Light, which is six minutes and 26 seconds.
slips away We'll come back to you We'll come back to you We'll come back to you Okay, and here we go, track four. The first track, not played live, the very intriguing to me, Split the Difference, which comes in at three minutes and one second. So Split the Difference, um, we got no song history. I don't think there's too much out there. I know you did an interview with uh, my buddy Scotty B at Jam Bass. You talked a little bit about it, but Let's talk about Split the Difference. It is very different, I think, than most of your songs. And for me, I'm usually not really into this kind of kind of hip-hoppy, jamtronica kind of sound. But I absolutely love this track. And I love where it is on the album. And, and I've listened to it a shit ton. So uh, give me a little bit about Split the Difference. Yeah. Uh, so this one was written entirely by Evan. Um, and it's interesting, man. He, he has like an album's worth of material of songs just like this. And I think that, uh, we want to continue to explore the sound because, um, you know, there's so much about our influences that, you know, will seep in a, a, a enough, but really like 
like stuff like hip hop, there's not, you know, an overt place in our music where we can like, we where we felt that we could really explore it like, like this. And, and this was the first time like really stepping into a new territory and, and it felt great. It was like really freeing and very exciting to like, you know, say, how do we, how do we, how can we do this? You know, like, cause he would, he made this whole demo in garage band, you know, and he sent it and it was already like perfect. I was like, wow, this is so sick. And we, we, we brought it into rehearsal and just figured out the ways to like make it be us and make it sound like a band still, um, you know, but, but kind of like make sure we stayed true to his vision for it. Um, and, you know, I think I, I agree, like it's, it's definitely influenced by like maybe like gorillas and maybe like a little bit of like hip hop and all those different sounds. And it was a completely different approach for us. I mean, for me as a guitar player, my role is, is a totally different thing. I'm, I'm there to like support the keyboards basically. And so I like used a lot of effects to like make it be like kind of trippy and, and, and spacey in the background because the, the beat, you know, between the bass and the drums is so tight and the keyboards, you know, me and Dave are kind of doing this dreamy thing over a super tight beat. Um, but it was awesome from a studio standpoint because we experimented with like different drum sounds. Like if you listen to the snare drum on that, it's got that hip hoppy flavor. And that was like us stacking like four or five sounds, like a clap. And like an 808 like style hip hop snare drum and an actual snare drum and all this stuff. And it was like so fun to like build those sounds. And it was like literally new territory for us where I was just like in there like a kid on Christmas being like, this is so sick. You know, it was so exciting, you know, to just hear new sounds and hear our band like pulling it off. Um, and it, it gave me confidence that there's, you know, some really cool places we can go if we if we, you know, so choose to go down those roads from time to time, you know. When I heard this track, all I thought about is you and knowing you and your influences, I knew you would love this. Um, so it's very cool. And I love I love its placement here. Three real heavy, lyrically important songs, with a lot of meaning. And we just talked about all those. And this is a nice kind of break uh, right after, you know, all that, you know, serious shit going down with the first three songs. Exactly. And I think that's needed, you know, yeah. just as it is in life, you need a breather. And, yeah. and uh, I think this is the coolest breather you could ever have. No, like, I, I feel like it's because it's still it's still us. You know what I mean? It doesn't sound like some hip hop band playing something. It's just Aqueous like doing this like hip hop vibe or hip hop inspired thing. And, uh, you know, we've been rehearsing for the tour, you know, like, with all these songs and that one's going to be sick live. <laughs> I'm very, I was, it was my next question is I, how do you see this transitioning live? I'm I'm very interested in that. So, yeah, we've got a lot of tricks up our sleeve for this tour. Um, and one of them is like Rob has got some new toys to play with. Um, and uh, we'll, we'll be able to, to really go in on that one on the tour. It should be, should be awesome. Cool. So this is Split the Difference, three minutes and one second, the fourth track from Color Wheel.
Okay, we are on to track five, and it's the title track, Color Wheel, which clocks in at seven minutes and 26 seconds. And again, another unplayed live song. So talk a little bit about Color Wheel, and um, obviously it's very important because it's the title track. So what do you think? Yeah, so so this this track to me is represents kind of like a quintessential aqueous. I, I feel like this this song is... Um, more along the lines of how we typically write, you know, in terms of like thematic composition and like a little bit more progressive and a little bit heavier. Um, and, and it was nice to kind of like, you know, keep in, as we were experimenting to, you know, keep rooted to, um, you know, the sounds that we, you know, feel the most at home at and feel the most us. Um, and, and, you know, lyrically to me, this was a song that I needed to write and, uh, that I've been thinking about for a long time. And it kind of goes back to what we were talking about on the internet, you know, with, with this whole new world that we have and, and, you know, to go even further with what we were saying, I started like thinking about the fact that everybody really posts, you know, all of this stuff that makes their life look very perfect. And it's so careful and so cultivated. And it's like this image that you make of yourself and that everybody compares themselves to, too, you know, like you, you, you know, people will put up, you know, this, these pictures and these photos and, and, and it's, it's cool. Like there, I think like, I'm not necessarily criticizing that itself, but I guess the idea is, is that it doesn't reflect the reality of the human experience enough, you know, and it's not honest enough. And I think that I, at points have even felt like, like a fraud, you know, like, I, you know, there's plenty of moments that I've suffered in my life or gone through really rough times in my life and will not, you know, and not that I think the internet is the place for that either, but I think that people use this platform to make their lives look perfect. And then, and then people think their life should be perfect because this person's life looks perfect. And, it, and it's like, it, it can be bad for a human, you know, and I feel like it can cause a lot of people to go into a darker place thinking they're not enough and that their life is not enough. And it's ironic because I bet you if they knew the details of the maybe the person that they were looking at online that they were, you know, quote unquote, looking up to, maybe they would not even want that life, you know. Um, and so it's about this idea of getting like sucked into this world and, and this like ego trip and this like whole crazy thing and what it can do to somebody's psyche, you know. So another deep, deep thought track we got here. So, yeah, we need to split the difference and get a little break on that. But. Yeah. And like to just expound one more, one more thing is that like color wheel itself, that concept is like, it kind of to me represented this like palette of emotions that somebody could feel and, and each color would represent a different one. And some of the lyrics kind of play with that a little bit, you know? Um, And so that that was kind of the general concept for that one. So for the album title color wheel, was that pretty easy for you to pick and make as the album title or was there some kind of discussion about what the title would be? I mean, usually what we do is we'll have everybody like just send suggestions to each other, like just things we thought about or like a lyric that stuck out or a concept or whatever. And this one just made sense to everybody. You know what I mean? Like the the, the title, like and the concept behind it. And it kind of felt like it, it encapsulated a lot of what the record was dealing with, you know, just that it was emotional and it was, you know, I think like really every side of it just kind of fit the vibe and it was like a nice clean concise title um that was memorable and um you know it just it was a pretty unanimous like it was really easy to come to that decision as a group cool um as far as the song goes at about the three minute and 20 second mark sounds like maybe some acoustic guitar to me is is that in there at all 
Oh yeah. So okay. I, actually, that was that took me a minute. I I so that I if if we're talking about the same part, I, and I I'm certain that we are, but um. Yeah, so there, there's acoustic guitar happening in, in a few different places, but that particular section, I doubled the electric guitar um, note for note with the acoustic guitar to give it that effect. Um, and it was a bit challenging because it's the, you know, from a technical standpoint, it's all like picked out with the right hand and it's not like that simple of a pattern. And I had to like make sure that those were identical to each other because if, if they're not, it sounds really bad. <laughs> but I wanted to give it that layered so it had that feeling to it. And uh, and yeah, that's definitely an acoustic guitar there. So that's the sound. That's why I couldn't completely think that it was acoustic because there was kind of that weird background to it. It's a really cool sound uh, effect. I love it. Yeah, yeah. there's both because in the I think it's panned like there's like an electric guitar in one headphone and an acoustic guitar in, a, in the other. And it gives it this one where you sound where you can't even necessarily tell which one it is. And I think that's really cool. I would expect um, as far as what I would think that color wheel will transition very easily live for you guys. It sounds like kind of quintessential aqueous for me. Yeah, I agree. Even in rehearsals, it's already feeling feeling really right, and I think there's going to be a lot of opportunities to jam in that one too. Love the jam, so I'll be I'll be ready for that. So, okay, so here we go. Color wheel, seven minutes and twenty six seconds.
perfection fades
Okay, so we are on to track number six. We're over the halfway mark, and this is Good Enough, which is an interesting one as well here on the album. And Good Enough clocks in at four minutes and 56 seconds and has not been played live yet either. Now, Good Enough is maybe the slowest Aqueous song ever written. Am I right to say that? Or I think that's exactly right, yeah. Okay, so let's talk about why you thought maybe this would be a good spot to kind of do this ballad type of thing and who came up with it and you know, what your thoughts about, you know, maybe this new style of song for Aqueous? Well, I thought about like, you know, in terms of album placement, you know, beyond lyrics, like just musically speaking, Color Wheel is pretty intense and pretty heavy and a little bit more epic. And I thought this was another moment where it could breathe a little bit more and like let someone kind of like unwind and be a little more reflective as as opposed to like a much higher energy thing, you know, right, right. The song before, you know, previous, um, but good enough. Um, is an is a song that was hard for me to write just in the sense that I felt uh nervous almost to be that honest I guess um you know to a lot of it is about my personal experience um as a human being and what I kind of go through and just realizing like a lot of my own eccentricities sometimes can be the cause of you know things that I'm not happy with in my life and you know like and also just kind of reflecting in a in a broader sense about like my own mental health or other in mental health as a general concept like there's just a bit of that in there um and like sometimes the feelings of you know loneliness or sadness and i and i think a lot of people can relate to that that kind of thing you know where you just feel a little bit isolated even though you're around a lot of people you know if you're just in your own head and you're overthinking things and you know and for me that's always been the case and i and i think that it's been liberating to even have a song that deals. I mean, I've talked a little bit about stuff like this in Aqueous songs, but in a much more subtle way. Um, and it feels really good to speak directly about it. I think mental health stuff, there's such a huge stigma on and there just shouldn't be. Um, because I've, I mean, almost every musician I've ever met, you know, creative people inherently deal with a lot of that stuff too. That's where a lot of the creativity comes from, or you're, you know, a lot of times a person's drive is from, darkness or from you know pain or struggle and for me that has been the case as well and um good enough is my first time you know really speaking as honestly as i've ever and, and as honestly and clearly as i've ever spoken about my own experience and um i guess uh you know to be honest i've been thinking about music as language um a little bit more recently and i thought to myself like okay if i was trying to convey something to a friend and I was just, you know, if let's say me and you, Mike, were talking about something, I wouldn't use, and it was really important to me and I really wanted you to understand it and it was maybe delicate and I was a little bit nervous to tell it to you. I would not use my most complicated words to get that message across. And I thought, this is a place where I I don't need to I don't need to use my most complicated musical words to do that either. I I want to have it be simple and clear and concise and where there's no ambiguity about what's going on. You know, you, you can hear the lyrics and that's the main focus. And, you know, and, and, you know, I had been listening to a lot of like Fleet Foxes and Wilco and, um, Joni Mitchell and, and, uh, you know, Simon and Garfunkel and just stuff that was a little bit more in the songwriting vein. And I felt inspired to, you know, be honest and, and to, to just, you know, write a song that, that was just a song, you know, and it just was the whole point was to say what I needed to say, you know, and that, I mean, I, I think that I've achieved that in other realms of aqueous in a different way, but this is the most time, the most direct I've ever been with, you know, and, and to be honest, I was like scared to show it to my bandmates at first. And then they were like, were really supportive and loved, they loved it. Like that, you know, cause 
And also, I, I, there's a really particular influence um, from like, I was listening to a lot of Wings, like Paul McCartney's band, you know, and uh, a lot of like the courting. I'm sure Dave, I'm sure Dave was playing that for you. Yeah, I, you know, I'm, I'm pretty into that too, actually. Uh, but uh, um, so there, there's, there's just a lot of different influences happening here. And uh, like, it was, it was awesome to get to explore this side of us and see that we were like, because we all love a lot of that music collectively. And, you know, it was, I think we've always wanted to write a song like this. Um, and we just like, just did it. You know, we said like, you know, let's, let's, let's see what we can do. And, and it, I, I'm really happy with the way it came out. So I think that's pretty interesting that this song is kind of a little bit more in your face about what you're feeling, which is kind of the, you know, juxtaposition to what you were talking about in Color Wheel, where you present this image and it may not be really who you are, but this is really who you are. So I think that's a very interesting and complex idea to to float through an entire album yes yeah. so, so very cool um so let's talk about the whistling um that's first whistling track uh who's <laughs> whistling in the track and who came up with the whistling idea well it's funny the the main melody the one that we're whistling in the beginning is like very catchy um and like when we were working on it it would just get caught in all of our heads so we would always be like walking around whistling it like you you know even like when we were working it on the on the road and stuff like the everyone, like I'd walk by Rob and he was whistling it. Or I'd walk by Dave and he was whistling it. And in the studio, we wanted, you know, we had talked about a different idea for the intro. And going back to that Wings thing, there's this song from Wings called uh, uh, Let Em In. And there's like a section of the that song that has a little bit of that vibe where it's almost like a, a military style snare drum, like sounding like a marching band or something. Um and that's like what that intro is. If you listen to the snare drum, it's like a, a military style beat and like someone walk, like it's, which is meant to convey somebody walking along and whistling this and thinking about this stuff. So it was like, just like kind of a fun studio idea that we had. We're like, you know, like we're all have this melody stuck in our heads anyways. Like this is what we're doing. Let's like put this on the record. So yeah, it's, it's something different. And I think it, it it's another good breakup track. So, you, you know, you know, with color wheel, huge song there. I thought this was a really cool, different, you know, color wheel where I just, you know, was saying to you, I feel it's quintessential aqueous. This is something new and different for you. So I kind of like where you have those two songs that are very different to the aqueous universe going on. I think that's cool. Yeah, me too. And then uh, we'll play Good Enough here, which clocks in at 4.56. And again, good enough for you. Alarm. Well, if I'm in my head again, 
noticing what's wrong I just realized the problem It was me all along I'm running so fast but I'm thinking so slow Got my sunset up I'm feeling so We are on to number seven, half in, half out, which clocks in at eight minutes and two seconds. Half in, half out was debuted 10-14-2016. This is the track that's been along, been around the longest. 22 times played live. So half in, half out, almost two years old. So almost to the day, we got three more days and it'll have been debuted two years ago. 
So why'd you include half in, half out, and maybe give us a little history on that? Yeah, um, so this is a, a song that Dave primarily wrote, and then I arranged a lot, and then the band arranged together too. Um, and I, I, I think it's an amazing piece. I, I just uh, D- Dave sometimes can create these really ambitious um, song structures that I think are incredible, and usually just need to be reined in a little bit. And that's like usually where I come in. I'll be like, okay, let's like you know figure this out and figure this out and make it you know try to try to like work together to make it what we wanted it to be. But um, I just I the sentiment of the song I thought fit the album perfectly. Um, it's this idea of not wanting to be fully committed to something and not being able to um, and kind of feeling a little bit stuck in the middle and pulled in two different directions. And I thought that that completely applied to the, the mindset of the record in general. Um, and, and I think it's, there's, it's, there's times where like, you know, you, especially after a song like good enough, I thought this was a perfect place to have something where there's a lot of musical exploration and it's again, more ambitious and more progressive. And it touches on all these different like little musical elements, like, it's kind of like dark and dancey, but then like a little bit Steely Dan-esque. And then at times like just straight up metal and 90s rock. And and I, I think that this is another um, classic like aqueous piece um, that I think some of our older fans um, can, you know, latch on to. And it's, it's a little bit more familiar, I guess, in terms of our normal approach to music. Um, but I thought, you know, sometimes a track like that can be really difficult in the studio to capture the vibe of because there is so many different parts. And it was, it was challenging. Um, but when it came together, like I was, it, it, it was pretty amazing. Like, uh, you know, like it took a lot of work to get it to, to be exactly what it ended up being on the record, but, uh, I'm, I'm really pleased with where we landed on it. Um, and there's just like some really cool, like I, I, you know, some like really interesting guitar tones and, um, I like used like some heavier amps and like we, we experiment, experimented with like a lot of different stuff on, on the band's end, um, to capture the, the vibe of the tune. And, and, and I'm, it's, it was really fun. Yeah. I, I've loved it since the beginning. And I particularly, like you mentioned, I love the, like the last couple of minutes that has that metal kind of just kick-ass rock and sound to it. I think it's a good sound for you guys. And I think it really came through on the album because that's my favorite part when you play it live. And I was very excited to see how that translated to the studio. And I think you nailed it. Um, it also kind of that last solo feels almost a little bit like Santana-ish to me. Do you kind of get that vibe at all? Yeah, I could I could completely agree with that. I, I had like a really particular guitar tone that I was using for that. And it was inspiring me to play a little bit differently than I normally do. Uh, but I, I, I think that that, that sound is, is absolutely in there. And I think the chords kind of lend themselves to that kind of playing. And uh, I remember just feeling really inspired in the moment. And that was one of those ones that wasn't pieced together. That was just like one full take. And it was just one of the ones that there was a little bit of magic in. And uh, I really liked the way it came out. Anything else on half in, half out? I'm sure we'll be seeing that live a uh, pretty good amount in the fall, probably, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I'm looking forward to playing it again more. We haven't we haven't been playing it as much, and I think... That's great, man. So- I love it. You can play it every show I'm at, so... <laughs> Perfect. All right, so this is half in, half out at eight minutes and two seconds.
Okay, so we are back here. Track eight, Weight of the Word, which we talked about a little bit already. Um, This one has already been released as a single, so you kind of had to do it a little bit different to make it fit on the album here. And again, Weight of the Word was written by Evan, and it's not Weight of the World, which he kind of talked about in that little intro video the other day, which was hilarious. Um, Weight of the Word was debuted on August 25th, 2017 it's been played 25 times and i can say as far as i know and everybody i've ever talked to this was immediately well well received i can't remember you guys having a song that everyone was just completely on board so fast with this one and i also want to you know just as we talked about with dave singing earlier even though like you said evan wrote this like i think this fits you vocally incredibly it's my favorite vocal performance from from you on the track so Maybe talk a little Thanks, bit about man. that and how, you know, I think that's an interesting thing that, you know, Evan wrote the song, but it sounds like you wrote it. I mean, that's, I was shocked to learn that Evan had written the song a long time ago. It just, it hits you perfectly. And it's just an awesome funk groove. Great, great song. So glad it's on here again. And it's absolute beast live. So maybe give me a little bit on uh, way to the word. Yeah. So we definitely did want to, you know, change it up. We, we, we knew that just because of how this whole journey started with that song, we thought that it was really appropriate that it should be on the album, but we thought, okay, people have heard this, you know, what can we do differently to it? And, um, you know, I started, you know, our band is pretty close with Turquoise, um, nine piece funk band from Brooklyn, incredible. And their horn section, um, I had done, you know, we've done a lot of work with them over the past, you know, whether it's just like stuff like sit-ins, you know, they, they've sat in with us two years consecutively at Peach Festival now. And um, I did, I was doing some everyone orchestras with, uh, you know, Josh um, and Shira and, and just, we were kind of around and, and, and we thought, you know, this song has the vibe that horns could be perfect on. And I, we always kind of, even from the beginning, envisioned it having horns, but just didn't have the time um, and didn't really have a vision for it when we were making it. So we, we thought maybe it's something we can add later. And then when we were starting to piece this album together, I was like, this is the perfect time, you know, and, and luckily with it being 2018, um, you know, we were able to, you know, the turquoise guys were immediately on board with it. And, um, it, you know, we were able to just send them the, the raw tracks from the song and they could, they recorded it in a studio in Brooklyn and then where they were able to just send it back. But what was really interesting is that, um, we trusted them to completely write their own parts, um, which was really fun. Um, you know, normally we are like really careful with, you know, what we let in musically and, and, and have like a, a usually a really quite specific vision of what, how we want to execute on a song. And, uh, this time around, I, you know, they, they are such professionals and like their, their sense of their, you know, their, their musicality is so unbelievable that we said, just like, please do your thing with it. And we just trust that whatever you come back with is going to be great. And it was. Um, and so it was so cool to, to be able to like hear their interpretation of our song and, and, you know, figure out the parts that, you know, that they, that they really accented and wanted to, to highlight. And, um, it was a joy to like go through and, and it, it was like a, such a surprise too, you know, like hearing us, a, a song of ours for the first time, um, with someone else's interpretation of it. And like, we made a choice too, at the end, I, I, I had told them to record a solo at the end. Um, cause I have a, normally I have like kind of like a nineties grungy guitar solo at the end of the recording. And, uh, we told them to put a solo there instead. And, and it was so great that we like just took mine out and put theirs th- uh, in instead. And I thought that that was really cool. Um, so from that was, that's kind of the story on the, on the horns and just a big thank you to the turquoise guys for doing such an amazing job on that. Um, and then yeah, so Evan Evan wrote that and and 
um, you know, Evan's such a great writer in, in every way. I mean, he had, he wrote the music and the lyrics, um, and I helped arrange it with him. And then, uh, I, you know, I came up with all the vocal melodies and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, going back to what you asked earlier about who sings what, um, I think that one was one where it was really clear that that was kind of in my wheelhouse. Um, you know, it's a little bit, uh, you know, of a smooth, more of a smooth track. And, uh, I, I, the melodies I wrote were right within my range where I didn't have to strain to go too high. And, it just felt like something I could deliver on. And I, and I completely agreed with the emotion of the song and could get inside the feeling of the song. Um, and, uh, and so it was, I, I'm really glad to hear you say that it's one of, you know, your favorite vocal performances. Cause I was really happy with that. You know, to be honest, vocals are, are, I, I work on them all the time and I try to continue to improve on them, but they're not as easy for me as playing guitar is. And so, um, it was nice to to get a track like that on the record where I felt like I could really deliver something that felt right within my range, you know. I can give all our listeners a quick little pro tip. If, you know, we all know how incredible Mike is at guitar, but if you ever really want him to like you and give you a little wink, compliment his vocals. That's what that dude, <laughs> he loves it because he does. He works, he works very, very hard on it. And Dave does as well, I know. So, um, and, you know, I... I think I listened to the podcast with Ira and he gave you guys a compliment saying that you were a jam band with great vocals, which he didn't think existed. So honestly, that was our goal. Exactly that. A jam band with great vocals, because, uh, you know, I don't, I don't think that that's what this scene is completely known for. I think that there's exceptions all across the board, but, um, I think that it's, that's always been a thing of ours. We said, we really wanted to, to just keep getting better and better and better at singing. And I, I think that we are on a nice path. I think people are just over, exaggerating when that i think most jam bands have pretty good vocals anyway everything i listen to is is excellent so everybody's an american <laughs> judge you know so yeah way to the way to the word is just it's so awesome very very happy to hear that and i i like you said i i actually wrote it in the notes you know mike and i talked a little bit beforehand the outro solo horns is awesome i got complete chills listening to that fade out it was so cool so, you know, and, and this is, you know, something I kind of missed with half in, half out, you know, coming off of good enough. I felt like half in, half out was a, a great transition because the, the end of this album is a fright train with that weight of the word is a beast. And the next two tracks, I feel like it just closes like a fright train. So, uh, again, so this is weight of the word, nine minutes, 11 seconds featuring the turquoise horns. You want to give us a listing of who those horns are? Maybe we've got a uh, Josh. Greg and Chris from Turquoise. So awesome track. And here we go. Weight of the word. Your 
Okay, so we are on to track nine, and then probably I feel like there's three real unique tracks, and this would be the very last of those unique tracks. And this is the Mandela effect, which clocks in at a very unaqueous like one minute and nine seconds, uh, yet to be played, fi- yet to be played live. And really, for me, I have I have one thing written down: one minute of oomph. So what do you think about the Mandela effect and who wrote it and how does that kind of make its way? So this is the only piece on the entire record that was completely improvised. Um, and when we, so basically what happened was when we were recording Split the Difference, we were just like kind of feeling the vibe and we recorded it really quickly. Like we, I think we did it in two takes or something. Um, and so we had like a little bit of time to kill in this particular studio session and we just like started jamming on some stuff. You know, I don't know, like everyone, because Rob had this like really weird drum setup to his left that we used on a couple of the tracks. In fact, it's the main like drum sound that you hear on the following track in it for me. It's like this like, it's like a snare drum, but it's like, it's just really interesting. But anyways, it was like inspiring him to play this like super like crazy break beat. And we were all like kind of responding to it. And like, then Evan was on his sub fatty and we were just like exploring this like musical path that we don't normally. And we were just like. And I think Split the Difference kind of inspired us to be in a little bit different of a mindset. And, you know, we, when we went to mix Split the Difference, we found like this whole section of files at the end of the session. And we're like, what is all this? Because it was like maybe two months after we recorded it that we were getting sitting down to mix it with, with Justin Rose. We're like, what is this? And we went there and it was this whole crazy improv that was just like that little section of Mandela effect. And we thought like, man, this is so cool. And this could act as like a transition piece. and and the title Mandela effect. So for anyone listening that doesn't know what that is, um, it's this concept of uh, uh, large amounts of humans all agreeing on false memories, right? So they call it the Mandela effect because when there was a time that people thought that Nelson Mandela had passed away before he did and everyone remembered that he did, but he hadn't. And so that's one example. There's also all kinds of like really weird ones like, uh, like people thought that like Berenstein bears were Berenstein bears and people swear to God that they like saw that it was one and now it's the other and people call it like a glitch in the matrix and all this. It's this whole like super trippy thing. If you ever have 30 minutes and, and want to go down a rabbit hole, just Google Mandela effect and it'll, I mean, in some cases it's very strange. Like there's this movie called Sinbad or, or uh, called uh, Shazam. And it doesn't exist. I mean, it's it is supposed to be uh, supposedly starring Sinbad, um, and but he's and it is about a genie. And it's funny because there's a movie with Shaq called Cousin. Okay, did that's immediately what I thought of. I was about to make a Shaq reference. Right, but there's like so many people that agree on the same plot line and everything of a movie that never existed. Wow. So there's like it's weird. But anyways, this. Uh, so people continually mistake um, weight of the word for weight of the world. Yes. And we think that's really funny. And so we were going to like, we had this like joke that we were going to start fucking with people and calling it weight of the world ourselves for like six months and then yeah. call it weight yeah. of the word again. And like, like create our own Mandela effect. Um, so that's like where the title came from. Cause it came right after weight of the word. And we thought that was like a fun little play on what happens with that song. That's cool. I like uh, that's, that's an interesting transition from that. Very cool. And again, very unique. So, you, so this probably won't get played live, or maybe someday down the road. Just, yeah, I, I think it absolutely will. I, I think that we can take that idea and just see what happens. You know, like, yeah, we'll, we'll like, because now that exists. Like, you know, now that it's a track on a on a record, 
it at least exists like that. So we can have that as like a, a jump off point. And yeah. then I think that we'll, uh, we'll just see where it goes, you know? Cool. Very cool track. So this is number nine and this is the Mandela effect at one minute and nine seconds. Okay, we're back for the final track, the closing track to the awesome Color Wheel album. And this is track 10. And interestingly enough, it is 10 in it. And in parentheses, it reads for me. So in it for me, which comes in at eight minutes and 41 seconds. And originally, I like split the difference is kind of my first track that I was like, man, this is, is my favorite. But Prepping for this interview with Mike and really listening, I really love this track, man. This this thing is great. So give me a little bit of history on this because I know nothing about it and I'm very interested in it. Uh, I, I'd have to say this is also one of my favorite tracks on the whole record. Um, every, every part of it. I, I, I like the emotions behind it. I like the musical choices um there's some stuff that's really aqueous there's some stuff that's not um this was a song that was primarily written by dave and then the second half was written by me and then the the following half by dave and so it was an ultimate collaboration with you know between the two of us and then the band ultimately but um i mean really i i don't even know where to start like it's i i feel like the song itself like in terms of lyrics really reflects on the whole kind of idea of the album and people responding like cynically or trying to understand what's in it for them, you know, like to, you know, to try to like communicate with others. And like, there's, there's a lot of depth in the lyrics that I think like, you know, Dave wrote it. So I can't completely break that down. Um, you know, he could probably do that a little bit more eloquently than I can, but lyrically it makes me feel a lot. And I think that it, it definitely captures the essence of like the whole questions that are you know all the questions that are raised with the whole record um but musically speaking um it's just so interesting like when he when he played it it was it could have been a ballad you know like when he played the chords at first like the verse chords uh you know when there's nothing left to take wondering simply what to make of the feeling that's all around soon you'll be buried in the ground like that's the it's pretty heavy and the and the chords were like kind of dark and they and 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 like he was playing them like uh, a lot more legato or like more languid and flowy and I, I we said like you know i think maybe it was rob's idea or evan's idea like what if we like did like more of a hip hop like pocket groove with this and ma- and did it like more staccato and bouncy 
And we tried it and we were like, oh, that's so sick. We should definitely do that. And then like the choruses were kind of like inspired by like Supertramp or Billy Joel. Like they're very like piano driven, you know, and that's, you know, it's pulled back on the guitars a little bit and it's very spacious and airy and um, really sets an atmosphere, you know, like, um, like, like maybe nothing that we've done previous. And it's makes me, I get chills just talking about it because uh, when we were recording it, I was just really like, like I recognize like even halfway through, like the record wasn't even done. I think like we were like maybe halfway through and this was one of the tracks we were working on. And I, I remember being like, this is going to close the album for sure. Um, because there's like, like these themes, like the, even the very beginning, I chose to play like a slide guitar on the intro because uh, I'd been listening to a ton of George Harrison records. And there's a certain way that he plays this, that he played the slide it's like a certain vibrato that is very emotional. And I, and I wanted to tap into that, you know, because this whole song was really emotional. And if you notice, like that theme that's in the intro comes back in the outro um, and then like shifts chords underneath it. And it was really amazing. Like there's a piece that David written like a long time ago, like maybe a year or two or three ago. I remember him sending a demo of just that intro. And I was, I was like, man, this is one of the coolest things I've ever heard. And the song came together like really naturally because I I had so you know you know about halfway through the song when it breaks down to that kind of like slower maybe slightly more like forlorn or sad section um, and then it has that like uplifting guitar um, I had written that section and we we're like this this pairs perfectly like with that you know this emotion and so it was this like really exciting time of like just kind of piecing the puzzle to get you know together so to speak and uh, it's it became one of my absolute favorites on the record for sure. Yeah, I think um, there's some, like you said, it's it's got a lot going on. And I had written in my notes that I love the slide in the beginning, and I've always been a huge fan of your slide playing. I just don't see a lot of it anymore. It's it's very much a lost art, and you do it so well. So I was very happy to hear a cool part of that on the track. And the beginning reminds me of Floyd. It has like a, a kind of Floyd feel. It's interesting to hear you talk about George Harrison. I'll have to check some of that out a little bit more. Um, but there's also like... And then it comes in like a freight train. And I, I love that. Like, I love that big drop. And about a minute and 27 seconds in, you have this effect going on that's very staccato-like. And I've heard you do it in jams before. And it's very abrupt. Yes. It kind of like the, uh, we were talking about before. There's quick notes and very staccato. And it's so cool. And that gives me chills. And I'm just interested to know what that effect is that you're using. Because I've heard you drop it in some jams in past that I've loved it in there too. So, is there an effect for that or just uh, something you change up? No, just it's a technique. A technique. Okay. Um, and yeah, and, and it's very inspired by hip hop. I mean, that if you listen to a lot of like mid late nineties hip hop, you'll hear some of those sounds as like layers in the background, but we, I like to bring them to the forefront and have it be like more, like a more of a centralized focused part instead of like something that's building something else. Um, but you know, to access, so basically what I do when, when we, when you hear a sound like that, I, I'm either like palm muting the strings and just picking really hard, but with a very clean tone. Or I'll even like pluck the strings with my finger and not use a pick to just make it really pop out like that. And then this time we really wanted to accent that and we found a tone on Dave's uh, uh, Nord keyboard that sort of, um, it's meant to emulate what is called pizzicato. Um, it's like when uh, a violinist would pluck the strings instead of using the bow. It was like, a, it's basically the same concept, but on a violin. Um, and we found a tone that was like really emulating that. And we use that as a layer to like really accent it. So you're hearing this like um, almost violin-like thing doing it. And then you're hearing me doing it as well. 
Um, and we found some like, and, and honestly, like I could talk all day about the production of this album because like that kind of thing that we're talking about is what we spent the most time on is finding ways to like really make somebody feel the idea, you know what I mean? Or feel the emotion. And, and so much of that comes from capturing the right sounds and building the right layers in, in the studio. And, uh, that's, that's exactly what we were doing on that section there. So it's, you and I are both huge Radiohead fans as I know most of the other bands. And so I've always closing tracks are this very sacred thing for me to bands. I love and Radiohead has some of the most amazing closing tracks ever. So this, I I always look for the end track on albums because it just is something that I've done over the past with the albums I love. And this one hits it for me. It's somehow for me, it's haunting, it's funky, it's poppy all at the same time, which is an amazingly tough thing to do. So I think you guys nailed the last track. I absolutely love that like the last three notes are just Dave on piano just a little bit and then it, it just fades out. It, it gives me the chills. Love it. Yeah, it's it's almost it's very haunting, very creepy almost, um, you know, it. Yeah, it's complex. It's and it's because like it's and the idea is like where do you land with all this stuff? You know, where did how did you, how did the person or the you know the idea of all these struggles and stuff? How did the person make it out? You know, like it's like almost like a reflective idea. You know, and like that's like kind of what that represented. So I I feel like this probably has a pretty bright live future for Aqueous. Would you probably agree with that? Yeah, I think it's going to be sick live. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so this is 10 in it for me, the closing track to Color Wheel. We'll play this for you and then we'll come back. This clock's in at 841 and we'll wrap things up here with Mike.
All right, so we are back here, and we're just closing things up on the All In With Aqueous podcast here with Mike, and we're just going to wrap things up on our color wheel discussion. So, um, again, Mike, I'm pretty impressed with the arc. We kind of broke that down. I love the heaviness. The tracks break it up very nicely, and then that you know awesome haunting kind of cool closing track. So great job on the arc. Very impressed with it. Um, I, I've talked, you know, my friend Darren, who runs Acquaintances, Derek Kemp, we talk a lot about you guys, obviously. It's mostly good. And uh, we, we're very impressed. We both think it's a mature album for you. It, it, you can feel you guys growing, growing up maybe a little bit. Obviously, some of the themes that you've dealt with in this album and, and have written about are very complex, which is, I think, a very interesting kind of thing for you and for the band, because you guys are all, you're very similar. And the fact is that you guys are very joking and, you know, crazy guys that you like to kid around and bust balls and do crazy things. But there is a very deep complexity to each one of you, you know, from knowing you guys over the years and talking with you personally. And I think that kind of comes out on the album. I feel like it's still you guys. It's still fun. But there is, you know, this deep and thoughtfulness going on in the album that I think is a very mature thing for you guys. Thanks, man. I mean, I think that that side has always been there. It's just, uh, I think we felt that it was finally time to really express it. And I, and I think that a lot of that does come with just growing up and having new, new and, and sometimes difficult or sometimes in beautiful experiences in life. And, um, I think we're just at a, a bit of a different place. Um, and, uh, I think that it was like time for us to make this record. And I, and I think that it's really reflective of where the band is at, you know, creatively, musically. Um, and, uh, I'm really happy that, uh, people are receiving it the way they are so far because there's a bit of a departure in some ways. Um, but, uh, I think that it's still very, very us and very authentic, you know, it's the most difficult thing to do in music. And many bands have ended that way, trying to make something new yet still be who you are. It's the most impossible thing to do. So I think you did. I think you did a great job. Thanks, Mike. So, Coming up, I just saw you guys in Pittsburgh. I was lucky enough to make that trip, and I thought you guys killed it. Was very, very impressed, especially it had been kind of a little bit of a layoff for you guys. I thought you sounded great. Jams were killer and great vibe. Pretty cool little venue. I like the, the Rex. It was Me cool. Me too. It's great there. Awesome artwork from Caleb. Oh, my God. I love oh, that poster. Yeah. So He's great, man. Yeah, it does a great job. Um, probably posters for some other shows coming up on the tour, I, I would assume. Posters for almost every single one, actually. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I'm a poster guy, so I love <laughs> that. Um, and, you know, so, again, I'm super excited about where you guys are headed musically and, and how good that show was. I can't even imagine how good you guys are going to be when you're really going at it for a couple months here on tour. So um, make sure you're checking those guys, checking Aqueous out. You start off with Umphreys, right? Yeah, that's uh, next week. We're at the Palace Theater in St. Paul um, for two nights with them on the 19th and the 20th. And then uh, we come back home and go out. We, you know, we start our tour with Munion on the 24th in Connecticut Space Ballroom. Another, uh, the, guy, the guys you are playing with on this tour, are very, very impressive. They're amazing. Munion, Heavy Pets, I've been such a huge fan of for a long time. Um, killer. Yeah, I'm, I'm honestly like we were we were really careful this time around with like we spent a lot of time making sure that we could find the right support and make sure that the bands that we were touring with were awesome. And Munion is one of my favorite up and coming bands. Um, I, I, they're so incredible and they're so fun and complex and 
interesting and quirky and, and they're like the best humans and we have a lot of dates with them right out of the gate and I'm excited for that. Um, I completely agree with what you said about the Heavy Pets. I think they're an awesome band and uh, that should be really fun. We're doing a ton of like Southeast stuff with them. And then um, we're linking up with EGI like um, for some of the Midwest stuff and then we like close it out with Goose. Um, who I've gotten turned on to recently. They're also super awesome. And then um, New Year's, uh, we've got Le Special on too. And so that's a whole tour of very awesome support bands. Yeah. And for us in Buffalo, pretty exciting back at Nietzsche's. That's so crazy. Yeah. So many good times there. So many memories. Uh, it's it's going to be fun. And then Town Ballroom, obviously, that went so well last year. So um, I'm, I, I couldn't be more excited for you guys. I thought your last fall tour was maybe the biggest turning point in the band's history musically for my years. I thought you guys took the next level jump. I mean, huge jams. So I would be very excited to see you guys coming up this fall with, you know, another year of, of playing together and all this new material to play. That's pretty exciting. Yeah, I think this is a really special time for us. We're like very, I mean, it's a lot of fire with a lot of the new music. You know, it's just a, such an exciting feeling for us. Um, and there's a lot of exploring to do. And I think this is going to be the tour where that all happens, you know. So I did, I have one question that I missed. And are there any songs that you wrote that didn't make Color Wheel that are still out there? Um, not, not really. I mean, there's been songs that there's a ton of songs that have been written since then, or, and were even being written, you know, while we were working on stuff, but we, okay. we, once those 10 songs existed, we knew that those were the ones that belonged together, you know? Um, because there's, there's other songs like we debuted that say it again, um, say it again recently. And, uh, you know, a couple of, uh, uh, there's actually like maybe five or six or seven different songs that exist right now that are going to be being worked on, um, on this tour. And there's probably going to be a lot of debuts and stuff like we're, we're just, I think once we got in a creative mode for this record, like it really hasn't stopped and everyone just c- continues to contribute a lot of material. And um, I think you're going to see like debuts beyond the debuts of the record stuff, um, which is really cool. You debuted Say It Again on my birthday and I could not love it anymore. It's so awesome. Another great lyrical song for you, by the way. Thank you. So, so, um, so there we go. I don't know, Mike. I think that was pretty awesome. Yeah, I had a great time, man. So, again, if you have any questions about the album, you can hit me up. I'm at Lawn Memo on Twitter. You can find us on Facebook. Mike is always open to talk, as is the rest of the guys in the band. But make sure you're going out to see these guys. It's going to be an awesome tour. You're going to have a great time. One of the best values in entertainment. You can go for pretty cheap nowadays. And I think in the future, it's not going to be that way if I know how good these guys are. So thanks, Mike, for joining us. Again, this was All In With Aqueous. Thank you very much. Thank you. Hi, I'm Carl Gearhart from the Giant Country Horns. This podcast is In the Loop, the Legion of Osiris podcasts. Osiris is creating a community that connects people like you with podcasts and live experiences about artists and topics you love. Check out OsirisPod.com, stay in the loop, and sign up for the newsletter to learn about the newest podcasts and events. Relics Magazine is a media partner of Osiris. For music news, go to Relics.com.